Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. It's our favorite part of Trivia Night, the discussion that the questions spark and the connections that those conversations create. That's why our trivia players, who have plenty of those connections, will be showing their work and talking through the thought process behind each of their answers as we play our game on the podcast today. So speaking of our trivia players, joined today by our trivia team, our Instagram followers have named them Quarterbacks Are Offensive, DJ, Kelly, and Omen. Before we dive into the game, it's Omen, who's looking very snappy, by the way. He's also got something new that he's learned this week. James, if you like your Bluetooth headphones and you hate the Nazis, then you would love Hedy Lamar, Golden Age <laughs> Hollywood actress. She was Austrian by birth, grew up doing performance, landed some amazing film opportunities in Europe, married an Austrian gentleman who was a munitions dealer and a Nazi sympathizer, who was apparently very controlling of her. She one night said, darling, I should put on every piece of jewelry I own for this fancy dinner that you're holding with all these Nazis. And he said, yes, go for it. And then she ran out of the house with all that jewelry and eventually <laughs> made it to Hollywood. And then later developed some of the technology. She was trying to figure out a way to avoid the allied signals being jammed by the Axis powers. And that ended up being the ground from which USB and GPS technologies were created. Huh. Wow, I definitely did not know about that particular connection. A girl really can have it all, James. That That's for sure. But I love for that, that she grabbed the jewelry before she left. Like, that's the best you know, part of the whole thing. Survivalist. You got to plan your moves. You got to make money moves, as they say. So <laughs> Money moves. Uh, Kelly, since that was a Hollywood story, Indeed. I think it's only natural that we will go to Southern California Indeed, now. we shall. And I, I don't need to remind you guys that in last week's bonus question... I completely botched U.S. geography. So I decided to make up for that epic fail by doing some research on geography. And I came across this little fact that is going to blow your mind. So as you said, I live in Los Angeles, so I feel pretty confident about L.A. geography, or so I thought. You can picture where California is, and you can mm -hmm. picture where Nevada is, right? Mm -hmm. L.A. is on the Pacific Ocean, so that is literally as west as you can possibly get. And yet somehow, Carson City, the capital of Nevada, the state to the east of California, Carson City is almost 100 miles farther west than Los Angeles. Wow. Hmm. This so is the weird. kind of craziness that I blame for not being able to answer questions about geography. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the serpentine nature of California to an extent is like throwing me off. Like the yes, fact that exactly. it's going to go back down. And the serpentine nature of many of its residents. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. You know what? I'm going to just going to. Hedy Lamar anyway, accepted. Uh, yes. We will stay on the West Coast, but go a little bit further north and get a fun something or other from DJ here. <laughs> well, in the ultimate example of nothing that the kids think is hip is actually new, I discovered this week that the oldest instance of a widely used text and instant messaging and social media shorthand dates to 1917. So the oldest recorded use of OMG for Oh My God goes back to correspondence between British Navy Admiral named John Arthbutnot Fisher writing to none other than Winston Churchill about rumors of new titles that were going to be bestowed. And he said, I quote, I hear that a new order of knighthood is on the tapas. A tapas is an archaic word for tapestry. And then he wrote OMG, as we would do today. So I think it's really remarkable that <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. And there truly is nothing new under the sun. I can just imagine Winston Churchill reading his telegrams on his bed with his feet up in the air. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he was probably a friend of, of Hedy Lamar, too. I'm sure that they had much correspondence. Indeed. Yeah. So, okay, look, that's something new we've learned this week. Now we will be challenging the Last Call Trivia team with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia. This is how it works. There's three questions per round, and then there's also a singular bonus question in between those two rounds. Then finally, a final question. That's a multi-part question, and that's how we finish things. If you enjoyed today's show, do us a favor, throw us some support, and be sure to leave us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice. Also, it would benefit us tremendously if you'd share it with your friends and let them know about the Last Call Trivia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about all our products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com. More ways there to get your trivia fix. Let's start off with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ, Kelly, and Omen. Then they get three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. You'll hear me say their little warning. When they have 30 seconds left, I say, last call. In addition to their answer, they also need to choose a point wager. Point wager options in round one are one, three, or six. Doesn't matter what order they use those wagers in, but they can only use each wager once per round. The idea being, save the higher wager for an answer you're very confident in. And the categories for round number one, which hopefully inspire some confidence, are celebrities, sports, and history. Hey, like last week, right. two out of three ain't bad. Celebrities, sports, and history. Okay. Celebrities. The voice of Doc Hudson in the Pixar film Cars was the final acting role. For what movie star and race car driver? Three minutes on the clock. Ooh. Whoa. Hmm. James, can you just read that one more time? I can. Celebrities being the category, the voice of Doc Hudson in the Pixar film Cars was the final acting role for what movie star and race car driver? Wow. Okay, when was Cars? Um, I've when did Cars guess come out? On this. I've got one, it's too. It's a really bad guess, having not seen the movie. But I think it might make sense time-wise. 
I'm guessing this movie was around 2005, 2008. Yep, yep mid 2000s. Right. Yeah. The hard part for me was the connection to also being a race car driver, but I seem to recall somewhere in the back of my head that Paul Newman yes. also was into cars. Yep, and he so was. if I put those things together, I I feel like it makes sense. That was wow. my guess too. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Let's put six catalytic converters on that. Whoa, you wow. want to you you throw it all, all down? I was going to uh, say, you want to throw everything on, on a guess on from black? someone who's never seen the movie and doesn't even know what it is. Yes, but out. Kelly, but you have the ability to remember the names of people, including actors. And DJ, you have a good memory for when films came out. And so but I think between the two of you, I have a high degree of, of faith in your in your Aww. collective answer. I mean, one of the things I think is very sweet about Paul Newman, well, there are a couple, but number one, his very, very long-term marriage to Joanne Woodward. I mean, weren't they married for like 48 years, which yeah. is in, in Hollywood terms, it's like dog years. That was like, right. you know, 2000 years. And also obviously like his salad dressings and other food products that he made, the proceeds of which went entirely to charity. Like he just seemed like an all around good guy. Didn't he yeah. have a winery or a vineyard as well? It was Possibly. next to his racetrack. Yeah. yeah. But he was super into to racing cars. There's some very famous pictures of him in, in sort of that classic era. If you think of the Ford GT when that first came out, the era of Ford versus Ferrari, that era of racing, he was super, super into Last it. Last so, call. Yeah, okay, I think so. I, we're I think putting six... six bottles of salad dressing on Paul Newman. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do let's, it. Let's put that salad how, dressing how all many, over him. How many women would love to do that? <laughs> Only the okay. necro fight. Hmm. No, I don't mean Good night, everybody. Oh, <laughs> oh, Omen. Come on, we're timeless here. And this is a timeless podcast. We are not endorsing latent cannibalism, folks. I swear. No, this is <laughs> celebrities. The voice of Doc Hudson in the Pixar film Cars, the final acting role for what movie star and race car driver? You guys are stacking up six bottles of balsamic for Paul Newman. The answer, Paul Newman. Yes. Huzzah. He won several national championships as a driver in the Sports Car Club of America road racing. And then his team won several championships in open wheel IndyCar racing. They also modeled that drawing for the, or computer generated image for the film after a 1951 Hudson Hornet, which had blue eyes, the you know, cartoon Aww. in honor of Paul Newman as well. Nice. So, you know, that's the connection there. Okay, a hot start for our team it takes us to sports. Here's the question. A Toronto-based Canadian Football League team is named for what group of ancient Greek heroes who accompanied Jason on his quest for the Golden Fleece? Oh, this is fun. <laughs> wow. This well, is fun. Thank God we had that was gonna the say, ancient Greek warrior connection there. So, yeah, Omen and I are with the Jason and the Fleece, and DJ is with the sports. I didn't even know that Toronto had a football team, let's be honest. So so thank goodness for the, the built-in other okay. hint there. <laughs> okay, so since we very clearly know the answer to this one, can oh, I just... Oh, are we going to 3 two, one Before we give the answer, can we just talk a little bit about Canadian football and how it differs from American football, from the NFL? Please. 
So, yes, and then we should talk about ancient warrior groups in that's right. ancient Greece. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, so Owen wants to make sure he gets some time here. The, okay, the CFL is is interesting. It's different from American football. One major difference is that they use a three down system instead of four down, so it's much faster paced. If you ever watch football with a Canadian football fan, they will lord that over you. If you're an NFL fan, to no end, I assure you. But so it's it's a little bit faster paced. It has has a few different rule changes and whatnot. The Canadian Football League has has tried to make inroads into the U.S. and draw some of the northern market, much like they've done in the NHL before some of the northern um, cities had their own teams. And it's it's never really taken off. I enjoy watching CFL. I think it's actually quite a bit of fun. It's a little bit of a palate cleanse compared to, to American football. But but I, I have a couple of Canadian friends and they never tire of telling me how boring the NFL is compared to the CFL because the CFL moves so much faster. And that's it. That's I just wanted to share Oof. that little tidbit. I just woke up from the catatonic state that that bit of information put me into. (laughs) Excellent. I thought it'd be fun to review some of the warrior groups of ancient Greece. We, of course, had the Hopolites, who who accompanied Achilles. And then one of the most terrifying and feared groups of ancient Greek warriors were spoken about in the Iliad. I forget what they were called collectively, but they were made up of 100 soldiers formed of 50 pairs of male lovers. And they were very, very fearsome because they were not only fighting for their country and for their cause, but for their lovers. They fought in pairs and they were widely feared. And then, of course, Jason sailed a ship called the Argo. Argo. Yes. And so his buddies were called the... Three, two, one. Argonauts. Argonauts. Last call. That failed. I think we should go... I think we should go Argonauts, which was Argonaut was also the name of a diner that I went to in college. So I think we should put three Greek salads with ah. Paul Newman's dressing on Argonauts. That's a skilled callback there. Okay, sports. A Toronto-based Canadian Football League team is named for what group of ancient Greek heroes who accompanied Jason on his quest for the Golden Fleece? You guys say for three Canadian downs in the Canadian Football League, the Argonauts, the answer, the Argonauts. Yeah. Yes. You know, we could have gone about this a different way and all had an in, because DJ had the sports, you had the Greek. I could have gone with knowing the lyrics to They Might Be Giant songs, because <laughs> after fending Jason off and countless screaming Argonauts is a, is a line from one of their more famous songs. So we could have gotten wow. it three ways. Yep. There you go. And the Argonauts are the winners of the Grey Cup, which DJ knows is like their Super Bowl, a record 17 times. They were originally founded and sponsored by the Argonaut Rowing Club as a rugby team in 1873, and then that club sold the team in 1956. Wow. So that's the history of that Toronto Canadian Football League team. Okay. Takes us to history. Here it is. The Hamilton-Burr duel and the Hindenburg disaster both took place in what U.S. state? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know about the Hindenburg, actually. Uh, You didn't? Really? I didn't know that that's where it blew up. So I was worried they were going to ask for the towns, and I was like, oh, am I going to be able to pull those out of the back far recesses of my mind? But the state... Oh, I've edited the question. We need the towns. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Sorry. Given the fact that two of the four of us have have lived in this state, I, I should know this. And yeah, I James, James lives there now, and I lived there for, for many a moon. Well, and anyone who has seen Hamilton, the smash hit Broadway musical, yes. uh, 
there's a specific lyric that should stick out to you regarding the Burr-Hamilton duel, in which Hamilton famously was mortally wounded. Can we just can we just talk about the Ber- Hindenburg for just a moment? Because oh my um, God, DJ, I thought you would never ask. Thank you. Of course, thank let's you. talk about the Hindenburg. Uh, so the the most recent scholarship on the Hindenburg disaster has pointed to the culprit of the of the fire not primarily being the flammable hydrogen that lifted the Hindenburg aloft, but it was actually the aluminum paint or aluminium paint, if you if you prefer for the Anglophiles listening. The aluminum paint was comprised of a particular mixture that turned out to be extremely hyper mega flammable and that's what really contributed to the the rapid burning and destruction of the hindenburg or so is the the current prevailing theory so there's actually been some research into using hydrogen as a potential source for unmanned dirigibles or lighter than aircraft as it may not in fact be the the flaming death trap that the hindenburg disaster portrayed it to be not just regular flammable hyper mega flammable that's right that's the They they should have read the label on that can of paint (laughs) (laughs) since we botched the last three two one can we try it this time yes so the state that we're looking for which is where the hindenburg disaster happened and the duel between hamilton and burr is so let's three two one this guy in three two one new New jersey Jersey. everything's Ah. legal in jersey that sounds very nice. That's just like a shower over me. That a beautiful three to one of the Garden State. So let's go with your one remaining point on this particular question. History, the Hamilton Burr duel and the Hindenburg disaster both took place in what US state? For one point, you guys say New Jersey. The answer is New Jersey. Yes. And as far as those towns, Kelly, do you know oh, which gosh. two towns? I could I could pick them out of a multiple choice, but if I had to like pull them out of my head, it's just like too far back. I know them and I can't like access the So the the Burr Hamilton duel is Weehawken. Sure. Oh Weehawken. yeah, yeah, it's because it's because it's right across the river. Right. And then Hindenburg was down in Manchester Township. Mm. Oh, I'm thinking of a different no, there's the, there's another name that's La- associated. Maybe I'm Lake thinking Hurst, of the field. Maybe? Lakehurst. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's right on the border or something like that. But again, I think you could say either one technically. And we know that the phrase to so often is, oh, the humanity in terms of like awful things that might happen. Sometimes sort of, you know, facetiously, maybe now it is. But it comes from that radio broadcast recording of that. And uh, yeah, Hamilton died in New York City after being brought back home. And Burr... Because yeah, you wouldn't be caught dead in Jersey. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Burr fled down to St. Simon's Island in Georgia, near where my buddy lives, and then eventually served out his term as vice president. Let's not forget he was vice president at the wow. time. And, and my um, college still has a building named after him in New Jersey. So, you know, there you go. He's, there's still some yep. love for Aaron Burr, apparently. A Bergen County grand jury indicted him for murder, but then the state Supreme Court overturned it. We could spend the whole day on Jersey stuff, but let's go to the bonus <laughs> question. The rules for the bonus question are a little bit different. Here's how we do it. The answer will be in the form of a number. The players may not know the exact answer, but they can still get a point if they get within the right range. At live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer, they win a bonus point. Since our trivia team 
is not playing against anyone else today, the writing team set a predetermined range, and their answer must fall between that range for the team to get the point for the bonus question. So here it is. The Hindenburg disaster occurred how many years after the Hamilton-Burr duel? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Well, we can use a couple of marker points with this. Kelly, you may know exactly when all the presidencies happened, so you may have a better sense of this, but I was going to go with some years on from the American Revolution. Yes. Uh, and then the Hindenburg. I have an easier I, way to do that, Omen, in terms of the oh, thank God. Hamilton Burr, because because of when Burr was vice president. We can back that out a little easier. Okay, and so the, what, and then, what year do you have for that? I think it's either 1797 or 98, because the election of 1800 was the one between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Yes. So Aaron Burr was the vice president the previous term. Okay, so I wrote down 1800 and thought, should I back it up a couple years? And so that puts me right in line with you. That's great. That's a good starting point. Actually, so no, it would have, what, he, was, was, he was Washington's vice president Who? the second term. Is that correct? Or was he Adams' vice president? Burr was not Washington's vice president. He was, he was Adams' vice president. So yeah, so it's got to be 97 or nine, 1797 or 98, somewhere in there. Okay. So then the Hindenburg disaster, that was between the two world wars, I want to say. Is that accurate? Yes. It, and it, keep in mind that it was filmed, so it was after the advent of motion picture. So, so I want to say it's like 28. I, I wrote down 1927. Yeah, it's like 27, 28, I want to say. Maybe as late as 31, but I think it, you know, if we're within a few years, we should be good. So then it's just the math. So, okay. so really, we're so talking I'm about 130 down, years. Right. Yeah, I wrote down 1927 minus 1797 is 130 years. There you go. I'm, I'm good and with I 130. We, the first number say, that I wrote down before we kind of like sussed it out was 127. But after the sussing, I think 130 sounds good. Yeah, I like 130. Let's do 130 years between the Burr-Hamilton duel and the Hindenburg disaster. Okay, bonus. The Hindenburg disaster occurred how many years after the Hamilton-Burr duel? For that one bonus point, the team says 130. The answer, 133. Oh, nice. And you get that bonus point because we were looking for 120 to 145. Yes. Huzzah. Very so nice. So what, what are the wow. actual years, James? The actual years are between 1804 and 1937. Oh, okay. So they were both a little bit later than we were thinking. Oh, but that, oh Burr, but that worked Burr out was Jefferson's vice president in his first term. Duh. Yeah. So you get that bonus point okay. because whether you had it a decade ahead in your mind or whatever it may be, you're pretty much oh, right yeah, on the ball. Oh, yeah, because Jefferson was Adams as vice president. Right, yeah. But I was trying to peg Historical it math to, is hard. I was trying to peg it to the year that Hamilton died, not associating it with the vice presidency. So that's why right. I think I was right, right. farther back. 37, though. Well, I got the seven right. I was just a decade off. Yep. 1937, not 1927. Okay, moves on to round number two. And the categories in the second round are themed to a specific topic. Today's theme is isms. And in this second round, the point wager options have updated to either two, five, or seven points. And just like the first round, the team gets one crack at each wager amount, but they do have those higher options to work with here. And the categories within the theme of isms for round number two are art, religion, 
and phrases. All right. Art, religion, and phrases. So I'll start you guys off with the art question. Pioneered by artists Pablo Picasso and George Brock, what early 20th century art movement abandoned single-viewpoint perspective for geometric shapes and interlocking planes? Are we going to take <sighs> two one this one, too? <laughs> well, I think that it's interesting to think about Picasso because he was not only a, a painter, but actually a sculptor as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful collection of his at the MoMA. And this is relevant to the art movement that we're talking about. He would take flat pieces of steel and cut incisions in them in such a way that he could bend them so that you could view multiple planes at the same time. And then he would paint them. So, you know, there'd be a sculpture of a woman, let's say, and from one angle, you could see the figure in one way and then you shift around it and you can then see it in a totally different way. And it's it's like it's moving with you. So it really is a departure from the flat plane of traditional perspective drawing. And I will add, I like art. I I studied art. Art is one of my favorite things. And I am not a fan of this movement at all. But what I am a fan of is the concept that a lot of people look at Picasso's work and think, oh, it's so simplistic. It's nothing. It's just, ah. Like he has this kind of famous sketch of a bull that's a very simplistic looking, I don't want to say it's a stick figure, but it's very simplistic. And it's widely criticized until people understand that he had the ability to paint things in incredible right. detail. Right. And it was only through that mastery of representational art right. that he, he could was... then translate the bull into this. His training was fairly classical. He did yes. all that romance style, very hyper-realistic painting. And then he decided, this is all a bit naff. I want to explore the the infinite whirlwinds of my soul and this the, form of art that I've been living with. whirlwinds of my soul. Yes, and, it's, and the current art form was not sufficient. Yeah. He also hated the Nazis. I think we should go with this art style. Should we 3 two, one it? Indeed. I, I don't know if we've had a second 3 two, one inside of a game before, but... Well, this will be the third, have. even though the first one is botched. The, I don't even want to count that one. I don't even want to think about that one. We'll go for a nice 3 two, one on your guys' answer for this art style. Three, two... One, cubism. cubism. Very nice. That was pretty snappy. And then what point wager would you guys have put in? I think we should throw seven masterpieces upon cubism. Okay. Seven visual planes. Very nice. Pioneered by artists Pablo Picasso and George Brock, what early 20th century art movement abandoned single viewpoint perspective for geometric shapes and interlocking planes? For seven points, you guys say cubism. The answer, cubism. Yay. Huzzah. And something new that I learned while prepping for this episode is that cubism apparently directly influenced the Art Deco movement with all its bold geometric shapes. I think of the Empire State Building and Chrysler Building and stuff like that. Those hard, defined lines and so on and so forth. Yeah, also Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) religion is up next religion again sticking with isms y e c y e c that stands for what type of creationism whose followers believe the world was created by god less than ten thousand years ago y e c 
I'm going to oh. pick a minor quibble here and unleash my inner Stannis, and it should be fewer than 10,000 years ago. But this isn't a grammar show, so I'll I'll leave it alone. Uh-huh. Anyway, I, I I know this one 100%, so I'm curious to, to see. Okay, so I've never heard of this in my life, but based on the acronym, I wrote down something that I think is figuring it out based on the context. So we'll see if... Uh... if I'm right. So the area that I grew up in in upstate New York is a significant part of the population are fundamentalist Christians. And this belief is is tightly held, tightly held, warmly held, sensually held, perhaps. And Uh, I um, would hope it's not sensually held. That seems sketchy. (laughs) And I can guess the C, but I'm, I'm struggling with the Y and the E. Because the okay, whole idea well, was that as opposed to evolution, as opposed to the Big Bang, that things were created right. by Well, by maybe if idea. I'm wrong, I'm going to start a whole new religion and people are going to are going to follow this new acronym, which I've made up. It would absolutely be you. I mean, of the four of us, you 100% would be the cult leader. Well, I completely it's gonna be, agree. It's going to be called Young Earth Creationism. That's oh, correct. Young Earth. Interesting. Yes, that is correct. And it, well, see, it's so interesting. Now I can't start my own because it already exists, apparently, so, in upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting. The idea comes about from dating using using the Bible. So from the creation of Adam in in the Hebrew Bible, there are a bunch of genealogies. In fact, that's sure. a significant bulk of the early parts of the Hebrew Bible is genealogy. The, the, so on and the, be, the begets. Right. So so and so begat so and so who lived for so many years there who then begat begat. A lot of begetting. And so there was a Christian monk, a Catholic monk in the Middle Ages who did a huge amount of genealogy work to try and assign dates. And he's the reason that we have the BC and AD dating system, which has now been supplanted in in scholarship, but is still used by religious authorities. And so he basically dated the creation of the world at around 4004 BC. So that gives you six to 10,000 years post-creation to to the modern era, depending on, on the calendar that you use. We here on the podcast do not have six to 7,000 years. We have less than 30 seconds to get our answer in. So I think <laughs> that we should say young earth creationism. And I think we should put five I think we should do the five books of the Torah. We're going to do, f- I was going to say five turtles all the way down. <laughs> it's begetting hot in here. <laughs> oh my God. Please keep on your clothes, Omen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Religion, Y-E-C, stands for what type of creationism whose followers believe the world was created by God fewer than 10,000 years ago. You guys say for five points, young earth creationism. The answer, young earth creationism. Yeah. Nicely done. Very nice. The old earth creationist is someone who predominantly would be either Jewish or Christian and thinks the stuff in the biology book, the stuff in the science book also some of the stuff in the Bible. A fun bit of trivia, the theory of evolution was originally put forth by a Catholic priest. So the Catholic Church as a whole is generally an old earth creationist perspective. Okay, that takes us to phrases from his 1913 novel, John Barleycorn. What author is credited with coining the phrase seeing pink elephants, a euphemism for drunken hallucinations caused by alcoholic hallucinosis or delirium tremens. Wow. Three minutes on the clock. I am not familiar with this book and proud to say that I'm not familiar with DT in a personal sense, but Pink Elephants is the logo 
on a beer called Delirium Trenums, which is uh, delicious and very strong. Kelly, I don't suggest you try it. Don't worry. <laughs> there is a there's a car wash company. I don't know if they're nationwide. They have a heavy presence out here in the Northwest, and their their logo is a pink elephant. I'm trying to think. All right, 1913, that era, late 1800s, early 1900s, drinky authors. Well, Elman, I'll defer to you on this. Was Dickens still writing at that time? Dickens, I think, was perhaps, but I don't believe it was him. And I okay. don't think that he was as drinky as some of the other. I'm thinking of, well, of an American. Well, Edgar Allan Poe was drinky, but he didn't write this book. He was more drinky, absinthe, And, and Hemingway was drinky, but this seems early for Hemingway. I was going to say Hemingway. Oh. What's the other one? Well, maybe it was his early book, and that's why we don't know about it. Because it was one of his fir- first books that no one has Who read. Who wrote Moby Dick? Melville? Yeah. Herman Mel- Melville. Herman Melville. W- was he a drinky man? He, he was a drinky man, but Pink Elephants, it seems metaphorical, and that's like the opposite of Melville. That's a good point. I'm cool to go with Hemingway if yeah, I would, we're out I would, of drinky authors. Of anyone who would know and who would be likely to have first-hand experience, I think it'd be Hemingway. I thought you were going to say it would be Omen. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Kelly. Jeez. Kelly. My goodness. I have some fragment of reputation left to stand on. And you think so little of me, apparently. <laughs> no, I just meant that I thought you were talking about like of who would know the answer. So we should defer went- to Omen. <laughs> I, uh, in six degrees of separation from Ernest Hemingway, I went to a dining establishment in Paris called Le Polinard, and they had the bureau that had all these hundred little tiny drawers in it where the regular patrons would keep their cloth and napkins. And Last call. one of them was a Hemingway slot. He had his napkin Aww. in there when he visited Paris. Oh, nice. I, I think we should go two pink elephants on Ernest Hemingway, even though we may not be correct. Agreed. Okay, so here we go. Phrases from his 1913 novel, John Barleycorn. What author is credited with coining the phrase seeing pink elephants? And that's a euphemism for drunken hallucinations caused by alcoholic hallucinosis or delirium tremens. You guys say for your two remaining points, Ernest Hemingway. The answer, Jack London. Oh. oh gosh! Jack yeah. London. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, um, I should have known that because of the name. Interesting. Short interesting stories. guy, and 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 a West Coaster in his own right, fostered at an early age. He was born in San Francisco, raised by a former slave in Oakland. He worked as an oyster poacher in San Fran as a teen, and then died very young at forty, alcoholism and possibly morphine overdose or toxicity Hmm. is an oyster poacher someone who gently cooks oysters in boiling water for a few seconds or is it i assume he steals them steals them from other people's oyster beds yeah he was an oyster pirate essentially i mean that's a this is a career omen is aspiring to oyster pirate is a euphemistic phrase that refers to something else entirely james oh well okay i'm just gonna leave it at that for the second time today good night everybody (laughs) The final question. (laughs) This takes us to our multi-part question, which closes the game out. It's also the only question today that our team can lose points on. The trivia team can decide to wager either five points or zero points on this final question, but they do have to get every portion of the final correct 
in order to earn points. If they miss any portion of the final, they lose whatever they choose to wager. So, by definition, if you don't risk any points, then you're fine. But if you risk the five, you can lose it. I'll also give the team five minutes to decide on their answer to this multi-part question. Before we get there, I want to give an update on where the team's score currently stands. Right now, our team has 23 points out of a total max score of 30. And a reminder to our listening audience, we do now divide our episodes into parliaments. And those parliaments are groupings of 10 games. The team's goal is to finish each parliament with the best possible average score. So through the first seven episodes of this parliament, the team has an average score of 20.3 out of a total possible 30. And reminder, right now they have 23. So they are outpacing their average. Here's the final question, team. Category of people. I need you to provide the last name of these famous Rogers. These are famous Rogers. And I need you to provide me with the last name. Number one. Third James Bond actor. Number two, Chicago Sun-Times film critic. Number three, Grand Slam tennis champion. Number four, frontman of The Who. Number five, 61 home runs in 1961. Again, five all minutes right. on the clock. I think I have all of them. All right, Kelly. Do you really? I do. I, I do. I think I do too, but I'm heartened to hear that I'm not alone. I've got a couple of them. Okay. Well, let's oh. let's tackle them in order. All right. Okay. Okay. So first one was the James Bond. Yes. That's the easy one. Okay. That's Roger Moore. Correct. The, probably the most underrated Bond actor. Wait, was George Lazenby a Bond Yes, for one Right, so movie. wasn't he... He was not no, underrated. No. He was properly rated. That's why he was... Oh, he was properly one. rated poorly, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. I think Roger um, Moore, pe- people don't think of him as a good Bond, but actually he was a very good he Bond. He was a very was good Bond. James, the films were kind of in their slightly camp era at that point. Yes. He, okay, he actually so had the... a lot more, I think, of the ethos that James Bond had from the Fleming books. We're falling into the, anyway, into the James yes, Bond yes, trap blah, blah, blah. Here. Yes, let's move on to the the movie critic. So this one was part of a the Chicago right. Sun movie critic, yes. part of the famous team of Ebert Gene Siskel and... Oh. Oh, and well, regardless, it's Roger Ebert. But yes. I think Siskel was replaced by Roper, right? Right, so but, but regardless, Siskel was the, answer the, is, the start. Is, is, Robert, is Roger Ebert, right? Right. Ebert. And I still okay. think of them as Siskel and Ebert because I grew up with Siskel and Ebert. So it was like, you know... Oh. Yeah. Very sad. Aww. Anyway. Okay. So next one was uh, the tennis star. I have yep. never watched tennis in my life. And, but you've heard of this fellow. And I think, but I, even I have heard yeah. of Roger Federer. Who just Correct. retired recently. Good. Oh, good yeah. For I him. heard that. 
And it, it was it was a, a very emotional thing. He uh, was a fierce competitor with another tennis player, last name Nadal, and they were sitting next to each other after their finals do final doubles match, and Nadal was just bawling his eyes out that Federer was retiring. And I thought that speaks well to the type of competition that they had. Fierce competitors, Aww. but also friends. Aww. Well, that's how it Fier should be. Like, fierce friends. Mutual respect. Yes. So then um, we have the lead singer of The, the Who. Who. Yep. So you know that. Oh, no. I figured if no, you're up really. with Jethro Tull, there's got to be crossover there, no? No kidding. Okay, so it, I think this is Roger Daltrey? It's da Roger Daltrey, yep. Okay. I don't think there was any musician crossover with The Who and Jethro Tull, whereas with a band like Fairport Convention, it was almost incestuous, like a mangrove forest of musicians. <laughs> I, I will say, I, didn't I have I not mean a... there was crossover of musicians. I meant there was crossover of your interest in the music. Oh, so, no, no, no. I have a dear friend who is a former filmmaker. He was a camera operator and second DP. And his father actually recorded the documentary for The Who, the, fa the famous one. And so my, my friend got to hang around with The Who when he was like 9, nine to 11, I think, is the, the years that they filmed it. And has all these incredible stories and some really cool memorabilia and whatnot. And just, just really, Aww. really wild time. And, and watching the documentary then, I've actually watched it with him while he's narrated what was happening in the background. Oh, that's um, cool. Oh, it was super cool. cool. Super, super cool. No, did he appreciate at the time that like he was part of something special or because he was nine, was he like, oh, no, he, just whatever. This is the reason why he went into the film industry was because of this this experience that he had with his dad. Oh. And, and he actually, they, they moved around a bunch. So he lived in New York, but he also lived in, in Hollywood. He was in fact next door neighbors with Lucille Ball. <laughs> nice. So Kelly, okay. what was that last name, Roger or something? Daltrey. Oh, Daltrey. Daltrey. And, and then, then what our, was the fifth one? Uh, the final one is the baseball player. So I'm going to say that's got to be Roger Maris. DJ is looking at me like I'm crazy. No, I'm not looking at you like it's crazy. The other one is Roger Clemens, but he was a pitcher. And so I'm trying to think, did oh, he play? Wait, maybe, was, was he in the National we... League or was he in the American League? Because if he was in the National League, then he could be the home James, run James, can we hitter. just hear that question again? Because I just literally suck on baseball player and he's the most famous Roger. So I, yep. I didn't pay close enough attention to the clue. So that's number five you guys are referring to. It's 61 home runs. In 1961. Okay, 1961. Yeah, yeah, 1961 it's got to be Maris. 1961 is Roger yeah. Maris. Roger it's, Clemens it's, it, was like during our yeah. lifetime. Yeah, Clemens was during my lifetime. Last yep. call. Yep, okay, Maris cool. is last right. call now. I think we need to bet the points because I'm pretty confident about this. Agreed. So, James, it sounds like we're going Roger Moore for James Bond in first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Second, Roger Ebert, the mm -hmm. Chicago Times film critic. Three, the tennis man Roger Federer, the Who frontman Roger Daltrey, and then five, the baseball hitter Roger Malales. Maris. No, Roger Maris. Mal okay, so just, Mar just, Maris. Just to be clear, we're not saying Malales. We're, we're saying not Roger saying Maris. Whatever that is. God. Okay. Omen. <laughs> Maris. Okay. He's uh, killing me, Omen. Uh, okay, and we're betting the points. Yes. Yes. Okay, and not Malales. Maris. No. Roger <laughs> Maris. All right. First Number name, Roger. Provide the last name of these famous Rogers. Number one, third James Bond actor. The team says, and again, the team is betting the five points. The team says that's Roger Moore. Number two, Chicago Sun-Times film critic. The team says that's Roger Ebert. Grand Slam tennis champion. They say that's Roger Federer. Number four, frontman of The Who. They say that's Roger Daltrey. And then 61 home runs in 61, they say that's Roger Maris. So just going through it here, again, was it Roger Moore? That is correct. Yes, hey. Roger Moore. 
Then number two, Chicago Sun-Times film critic Roger Ebert. That is correct, Roger yes. Ebert. Grand Slam tennis champion Roger Federer. That is correct, Roger Federer. And then front man of the who, Roger Daltrey. Yep, that's correct, Roger Daltrey. 61 home runs in 61. You guys said Roger Maris. That is correct. Yes. Roger Maris. All. So you guys go five for five. I was Roger Malala's. How great would that have been? How awesome would that have been? I'm so sorry, Roger Malalas. No, okay. So is that a real uh, person or is no? That a- <laughs> no, I do not. I do not know of any Roger Malalas. So, Give our team you know? two thumbs up. <laughs> it's a long history of Major League Baseball. Who knows? All right, they got that one right, all correct, and they wagered the five points. Very nicely done. Our team quarterbacks are offensive. Had a final score today of 28 out of a total possible 30 points. Mm, Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning into the show. And if you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode with your friends. If you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com. Check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia podcast. Until then, stay curious. I vote that Oyster Pirates Incorporated should be our new team name for next for next season. I love so what, it. Can I ask what what is the what is the dirty term that I guess no, I don't? No, know. no, oh. don't. Whatever you, you do, don't look from, up Oyster Pirates on Google. So, stay away from Google. On the phrases one, I was kind of holding out hope that the question was going to be who said I don't believe in isms, I just believe in me, and we could have had a great conversation around John Lennon. Oh, I thought that was going to be Yogi Berra. <laughs> no, it was it was John Lennon. He was talking about you know not not believing in the Beatles, not believing in isms. I just believe oh, in me. Oh, right. And it was it, you know it was famously quoted by Ferris Bueller, who then went on to say you know he was the walrus. I could be the walrus, and I would still have to bum rides. And I just I, that's one of my favorite like movie phrases of anything. And when James was talking about the isms, it sprang immediately to mind. And I really don't know what that says about me. You want a Ferrari, or you want to like be in a parade and sing Donka Shane? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kinda. A little bit. I I think you should. I also I would like to say that That's today's episode own. is not brought to you by Newman's Own, but it could be. So if anyone from Newman's Own is listening, <laughs> we would love to have you on as a sponsor. So just reach very, out. Very, very true. Very, very true. I did find it very, very interesting that DJ was giving a heartfelt explanation of the CFL, some of the nuance there, some of the differences, and Omen fell asleep. <laughs> However, when Omen was then going into some of the history of different Greek warriors, DJ was engaged. He was interested. So I just want to say that people regularly impugn sports fans for their lack of intellectual curiosity. Hmm. That should no longer be done. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and I'm glad that you brought up the ancient Greek warriors again, James. Oh, no! <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to correct myself. It was, in fact, called the Sacred Band of Thebes, and it was 150 pairs of male lovers who fought side by side quoted in Plato's Symposium, where one of the people says, if by some contrivance a city or an army of lovers and their young loves could become into being, then fighting alongside another such men, though few in number, could defeat practically all humankind. 
For a man in love would rather have anyone other than his lover see him leave his place in the line or toss away his weapons, and often would rather die on behalf of the one he loves. Something for the U.S. military to consider, I think. Well, I think uh, that may well be the uh, true inspiration of Huey Lewis and the News a song, The Power of Love. Yes. We can only that, hope. That checks out. That checks out. Mm-hmm. All right. Or Order a football team. That would or- make football more interesting. <laughs> if by Maybe. some contrivance we could have an NFL team completely comprised of male lovers, they would win every football Look, I don't know about the NFL. You could you could try those league offices. It's Park Avenue in New York, but maybe the Toronto Argonauts would be open to it. Maybe the Toronto Argonauts. All right. Uh, I want to be in that pitch meeting. I just I, I really wish that the audience on the at home when Omen pitches this idea to the CFL. I, I wish you that know, the audience at home could see the look on Omen's face when he trailed off there when he said win every football. I think he suddenly realized something about what he was saying and he just stopped. It's like his brain went into a reboot cycle and he just couldn't anymore. And I I love that moment that so much that I, I will treasure it the rest of my days. I knew there were more words that could go in that sentence, but I, I realized I didn't have them at my disposal. We Respect. need to stop before Omen is reminded of any more ancient Greek yeah. fans of The words. Philadelphia Bad Oyster or... Pirates, the newest oh, team in my. the NFL. Please do remember to like, subscribe, and share. share this episode with your friends. Remember, you're always a welcome part of the team at the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Mm-hmm.